stepping down. She's out of her depth, totally. Our leaky COVID border. Isn't it a no-brainer that you need to keep people separate? And what to look out for in 2021. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's our weekly podcast talking about the political stories that we've been covering on One News. I'm Jessica Much Mackay. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Benedict Collins. And welcome to 2021. This is our first time we've had a chance to have a chat to you uh, after our summer break, which I think it's pretty fair to say it was a little bit needed after last year with all of us. So it's great to be back with you guys again. Shall we get into it and get into our pits and our peaks? Does anyone want to start off or shall I give it a whirl? Uh, yeah, you give it a whirl. Shall I, to warm us up. So um, a peak for me, I went last week to Nelson for the Labour caucus, that they, their little get-together, and it was just good to uh, get out of Wellington, go and do some stories on the road again. Um, unfortunately, it was on the same day as the inauguration, so it was, the story probably didn't get quite as much prominence as it would have on another day, but it was good to go with our camera operator, Scarlett Wilde, and um, just get out and about and, and do some stories on the road again. Mm. Um, I also went to um, watch Judith Collins' uh, State of the Nation speech earlier this week up in Auckland, um, so that was the first time back out on the road for me. Good to get back into the swing of things. Um, and my peak, I guess I'll take it as the peak, uh, was seeing all of the summer glow from the National Party caucus, including Paul Goldsmith's rather impressive uh, beach double uh, that he was clinging on to um, post-summer. So, uh, yeah, good to see everybody um, getting back into the swing of and things you know pretty what much. a beard means when you come back to Parliament still with a beard yes. on? A coup is on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, uh, he's got some competition in James Shaw, who is also Growing, growing quite the uh, fuzz there. <laughs> That's some, um, yeah, yeah. Good, good observations there, Mikey. Hey, they also, <laughs> at that State of the Nation speech, they um, sort of put out a, an olive branch or offered to help the government on the housing um, crisis, and that was pretty quickly um, shot down by the Prime Minister, yeah? Yeah, a bit of a slap down. Um, so Judith Collins pretty much saying that they want to give the government power to um, rezone council land, and Jacinda Ardern's response was, um, what she's talking about, yeah, we're already doing it. So um, pretty much quote, on, quote unquote. So yeah, a little bit of a slap down there for the start of 2021. It's on, it's on. Yeah, and my um, 2021 has started as 2020 went in terms of jinxing trips. Um, so I've had multiple trips cancelled for multiple reasons. Obviously COVID, I was supposed to be He's going cursed. to Vietnam, um, supposed to be going to Chile um, on, a, on a trip with the Prime Minister as well, but they started rioting there and burnt down the um, half the capital, so that got cancelled. Already this year, Ratana, they've got a big um, uh, disagreement there, um, and so the Ratana sort of celebrations and where the politicians sort of normally kick off the political year, that was cancelled, and then I was supposed to be heading up to um, Whangarei this weekend for the um, national Party's summer caucus retreat, um, which you know, quite fun events to um, uh, to cover. And because of the new COVID cases, they've pulled out of that one as well, just out of, as a precaution during when that sort of first case was announced. And now you have to do it in Wellington. Wah, wah. Yeah, yeah. But it has been quite warm in Wellington this week. Actually, it's yeah, been quite, quite nice, quite windy too. Um, but I just wanted to touch on the um, Ratana, um, uh, the Ratana point there, because that was rather interesting. Um, the reason why politicians didn't go this year is because there was some internal debate around, you know, the the um, um, Ratana's allegiance politically. So traditionally, they've been aligned with the Labour Party, um, but and that is obviously the local can, uh, the local MP there is Adrian Rudafe, who has a strong Fano 
her link within the Ratana Church, um, but also um, equally as strong there is Che Wilson, who is the Māori Party president. Um, and obviously we've seen the return of the Māori Party to Parliament post-election. So there is that sort of discussion happening within the Ratana um, Ropu community, faith um, around just where those political allegiances and how sort of vocal they are about um, one particular party. So interesting times there. Mm. Yeah, really interesting stuff. And, and the politicians kind of in the middle of it. And mm. so they've just said, you guys stay back in Wellington. We'll just do it Figure ourselves it out. this time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, see how it goes. Um, in terms of pits, and, and I don't really have a pit, so I'm just going to do another peek. But I think for any uh, political geeks out there, watching an inauguration is pretty compelling viewing. And it was just so interesting watching that unfold and watching Joe Biden and Kamala Harris being sworn in. And I think that was quite a big moment um, in our history. I think you always enjoy watching inaugurations and watching other people's Elections, even if it is from afar. Mm, definitely. Um, my pit has to be uh, my first story of the year, actually. And it's not my pit. It's probably more Gronya Moss's pit, to be honest. Um, she stepped down as the chief executive of Oranga Tamariki. And um, for anyone who missed my story on it that evening, um, I urge you to go back and watch it because Nader Glavish, Dame Nader Glavish, gave a pretty brutal serve in response to her um, stepping down. Obviously, Nader Glavish was a part of a number of dames um, and ladies, um, Māori leaders last year who called for her to step down. So if you missed that track, go and Google it. It was pretty brutal. Yeah, my pit, um, so far would be I've done a couple of stories this year already um, in, in the social development space and the Minister Carmel Cipollone repeatedly refusing to front up for interviews for stories relating to her portfolio. We had um, uh, the figures out from December showed over one and a half million emergency food grants were given out last year. Didn't want to front on that. Um, and did another story yesterday looking at how the government had failed to introduce its um, Flexi wage expanded flexi wage subsidy program, which it had basically launched its campaign with last year at the election, failed to deliver it on Christmas time. At Christmas time, which was a top priority for Jacinda Ardern, again Carmel Cipollone refusing to front up and answer, you know, be interviewed on camera and answer questions about what's going on. Um, might have to start a counter soon of um, the number well, of times pretty, she's not fronting it's up. It's pretty frustrating when you're just wanting to to talk to the minister and challenge the minister, especially um, when so many ministers agree. are so available and so you know prepared. You look at Chris Hipkins day in and day out, fronting up, answering questions all day long. You know, lots of ministers are highly accessible. You know, yep. so this, this is pretty slack. Santa's long gone, baby. Time to get back to work. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, let's have a chat now about some of the stories we've been covering because we have been back um, for what two weeks now and just talk about that I have to say that my stories have mainly been um, centred around the COVID and the status Northland case and we'll talk about that a bit more later but you guys have both had some strong stories to start off the year so did you want to start off talking about your um, Māori seats story that you broke last oh, night? Oh yes um, so um, last night we ran a story um, that uh, National will stand in the Māori electorate seats they haven't done so since 2002 and after 2002 that's when they started their big sort of campaign and big push to actually abolish the Māori seats altogether. Um, so we understand that and we've heard it from uh, National Party insiders that next week at National's retreat which was supposed to be in Whangarei but is now in Wellington, um, she will uh, inform her caucus and also announce it publicly. So that's a big move for the National Party and we spoke to some commentators 
leaders and they're basically just pointing to the fact that National needs to drum up as much support as it can anywhere it can. Um, so plummeting down to 33 MPs, um, you know, they are needing to, you know, expand their support base and do more. Um, and so that's obviously led to looking at the Māori seats. Mm. Do you reckon it'll pay off? What's your, uh, what are your thoughts? Or do you think it depends it on... It won't pay off in terms of, you know, I don't see them winning seats, um, certainly not in the first few uh, ele- couple of elections. And saying that, they have been known to draw in very strong Māori candidates. We can think of the likes of Georgina Tehiuhiu, Hekia Parata. Um, we had Tanya Tapsell at the last election. She's a, she, she was a strong candidate. Also the likes of Dale Stevens, um, who has a long history within the party. So they do bring in strong, credible candidates from strong Māori families who have strong bloodlines so it is possible but they'll need to do a lot of work in that Māori space if they wanted to if they want to be taken um, uh, you know credibly uh, in those in those seats and I thought it was really interesting in your track last night you talked to a former a couple of former MPs Joe Hayes and Krako, um who, who were saying you know they've kind of been pushing for these for these changes from the on, inside as well for, for quite a long time it sounds like but they've sort of yeah. been getting knocked back I think it's important to remember as well that when you talk about uh, not winning the seats it's also about that party vote and I think National will have been reflecting over summer saying if we've got a few hundred more seats here and a few hundred more seats here, we'd have... Votes. Seats. Oh, sorry. Votes. When I say seats, <laughs> I mean votes. I'm a little rusty. <laughs> yeah. um, a few hundred more votes here and a few hundred more votes there. That could have been the difference between getting another MP and not. And that's what it has come down to. And I think that even if the decision was made earlier, you've got to be out and about um, selling Nationals' vision uh, and, and you've got to play to the MMP environment that we're in. And that's what Labor does in the Māori seats. They're in all of the Māori electorate debates, so they're able to drive that party vote message as well. And so that's what National can at least try to do. If they don't at least win the, the seat as a candidate, they can push their policies and try and tap into that party vote. But again, if they want to be taken seriously in the Māori seats, then they need to do a lot more than just running them. They need to come to the table with kaupapa Māori policies. And we heard from former Māori uh, MP, National Party MP, Nukurako, who said that um, under Don Brash, uh, the party got rid of the treaty references in its constitution. He then tried to push, push, push the party to put them back in, and they refused to do so. So they need to make changes like that. And I think, as we've talked about, they had issues and have been criticised for not having that diverse voice. And I think we're just seeing now, um, you know, it is members of parliament that represent uh, the people of New Zealand here. And and I think increasingly uh, National is looking at the, the candidates and thinking we need to have some diversity of thought and diversity of, we need to have some Māori candidates um, up there. And I think that this is perhaps a step Towards that, mm. as I think well. it's got to be it's got to be seen as a good thing. Um, national standing candidates in the Maori seats. It's better than them calling for the seats to be abolished completely. The only thing is that they need to bring a bit more beef in behind it, and they've got a few days to work that out. Um, Judith Collins and Shane Letty before they announce it in the next week. So kind maybe of, kind of announce can, it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, really, we already announced it, but anyway, um, re-announce. Yeah. Okay. Did you? Were there any stories that you wanted to talk about that you've covered over the last 
two weeks. Yeah, I guess we could dig a little bit more into the into the um, promise by the um, the government to get this um, and explain a bit more about what it is, the expanded flexi-wage subsidy in place by Christmas. So this is basically where... Uh, if, if companies want to take on people who have been, uh, who, who are beneficiaries, who look like they might end up on the benefit for a long time, this basically the government comes in and helps subsidise their wages. To, and it depends on the ex, which company and to certain you know, different criteria as to their how much subsidy they provide. But you know the, the government was saying look, we hope this can get forty thousand people um, back into work, and it's real priority to get this in place by Christmas time. Um, sounds like it's still they're still working on it now, maybe about a month away. But it's pretty spectacular. That I think that Jacinda Ardern was saying in November in a big speech um, when she just came back as prime minister that you know this was a real priority to get this in place before Christmas, um, and and then not to deliver just a few weeks later. So something's gone wrong there. Um, Nationals, um, Louise Upston, um, their social development spokesperson, she, she's saying, look, you know. It, if this can help get tens of thousands of people back to work, you know it's pretty negligent to the government not to have got it in place um, when they said they were given. Given this was the policy they launched their election campaign with, and I think it's not. It was only a few months before Christmas, so it's not like it, they can be hugely distracted or, like, between clear, then. It was yeah, few and before. clearly there was some sort of indication to the prime minister that her ministers and I don't know what's going on here because they wouldn't be interviewed. Um, <laughs> But there was clearly an indication or an expectation from the Prime Minister that they'd be able to get this done, and they didn't. And then, interestingly, though, also interviewed um, Kirk Hope from Business New Zealand as part of the story, and he said he thinks Labor basically, when they announced this policy, thought a lot more people were going to lose their jobs back in August um, than actually ended up happening. So he thinks maybe they've lost a bit of focus on it. Maybe it's not so much of a priority for them as anymore because the, the number of unemployed simply didn't um, eventuate that maybe what they thought was going to happen. Louise Upston, on the other hand, says, hey, look, we've got 200,000 people um, on, on job seeker. The government should have done this anyway. We'll watch the space. Maybe we'll get an announcement yeah. in about four weeks' time, which yes. is what we were told. Now, I feel a little bit of deja vu on this, and, and not in a good way. We are back again uh, with the one o'clock briefings and back with the Northland case and then just in the last uh, less than 12 hours, uh, these two new positive cases. So, I mean, I think we've just got a situation here where the barrier, isolation is meant to be the barrier between the rest of the world that's um, just riddled with COVID-19 and all these contagious strains and we are safe on this side and managed isolation has to be the protective barrier and you have cross-contamination with people who have been there for a number of days and people have only just arrived and we're just seeing these gaps and these holes and I think we've been, I think it's fair to say we were pretty lucky to get through the summer break Um, but it's been, it's pretty major that we can't, that we have to keep fixing these issues. Well, I think it kind of isn't, it is in a way, and another way I think it's almost in a way inevitable, right? Like we ticked over 100 million cases around the world. This you know, coronavirus is just rampant everywhere else. I think this week as well, um, grim milestone in the UK, 100,000 people over there dead. Um, but what is interesting, I think, with this one is that you've had people leave managed isolation, testing negative, testing negative, getting out into the community, boom, and they've got it. Um, and I was listening to Chris Hipkins this morning. He said, look, we're, we're at the Pullman Hotel in Auckland. We're going to make some changes. We're going to keep the aircon running 24 hours a day, but not turn it on and off because they're hoping that will create like a, um, a pressure so that 
air basically isn't circulating. Well, why were they turning it off in the first place? So they turn it off in the hallways. <laughs> um, and it's common at hotels is to turn Same it off right. in the hallways. Yeah, that's right. So you kind of run it for a while, get fresh air in there and turn it off. And they're going to stop doing that because they wonder if that's how it's... It may have been spreading. They are still thinking, though, it's... Uh, you know, maybe they've just kind of crossed paths or been in recent spaces together. But, you know, and this is the South African variant as well, right, which is it seems to be spreading more rapidly. It it's going to be interesting like to see what happens if these long weekends go ahead up in, in, in Auckland. I'm not sure. Yeah, and it just feels like we've had quite a few practice runs and test runs mm. at this. We've had lockdowns before. We've had scares. And it just feels like these are things that we should be thinking about and testing and um, getting the latest research because information about ventilation systems were coming through before Christmas yeah. and we should have been making those tweaks and those changes. Now, I just think people are getting a bit frustrated for it. I think, I think there's, there will be certain schools of thought. I think there'll be some people who are genuinely nervous and, and feeling fretful about this. There'll be some people who are just sick of this now, who just feel frustrated by it. And I think there'll be a group of people who are understanding and saying, look, this is inevitable, da 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 But I just think that it, I think everyone started 2021 thinking, okay, we're doing all right. Well, after we're our summer holiday, this. right, where, yeah. it's, where it's almost like COVID's, you know. Well, it, it was really, yeah. Yeah, isn't really a part of our lives. Yeah, I was the only um, one scanning some, in Northland over my some, summer break. Some fascinating stats after the, the um, Northland case came out, like 200,000 yeah. Kiwis turning on the Bluetooth on there. Um, in 24 hours, yeah. In 24 hours on their, um, on their scanning app, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I think I think it's been a bit of a wake up call. But I think it's yeah. Also, I guess it's just human nature after so long and not having any cases. Yeah. In, in the community, people do kind of get a bit tired of signing in, and then boom, you get a case, and everyone's back onto it again. I yeah. wonder if um, you know what we might see an extension to managed isolation beyond that fourteen day period. If we are still you know testing negative twice at day three and day fourteen, and then yet showing up with the mm. virus a week or so later, I wonder if there is consideration towards extending that isolation period, but it obviously comes at a cost and that'll be something they need to weigh up. And Michael Baker was also arguing today for it more focused to be on the other end as well, so pre-departure, um, isolating for a period of time, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I, I think that would be more challenging, but it's just interesting that we're looking at that now. Another really fascinating thing I found yesterday, and we were talking about it in the office beforehand, and then I asked Chris Hipkins about it at the press conference about how long it would take to mass vaccinate 5 million people. So don't forget, of course, it's 10 million jabs because we get two each. And he was saying at least six months. He sort of did a back-of-the-envelope calculation saying it, he, would, he thinks it would be 200 days uh, roughly. So if we're not starting that till June, you start thinking about, you know, that, that'll be hard pushed to do it by the end of the year, by Christmas. And I think that starts to give people a bit of a time frame because I think there were a lot of people thinking, oh, we're nearly there. We're nearly mm. getting the vaccines. We're seeing it all over the world. But this the year of the vaccine will be all year. It could be a couple of years of the vaccine, I suspect. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just don't, I'm not sure about you guys, but I don't think that, I think we had our heads wrapped around that. I'm just not sure that that was something that has been conveyed 
publicly a lot. And I wonder also how nervous officials are around meeting that end of March timeline to get the vaccine here. You know, Ashley Bloomfield over the last week has said, you know, we are still on track to get it at the end of March. Tick, 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 the days are counting down. If it doesn't come by then, oh, National will have some real big ammo um, there because that is the pressure point at the moment. People wondering when are we going to get our turn for the vaccine? When, are we, when is it going to come in? And if it doesn't come in on time, I think you know that'll be that'll be a pressure point for the Nats to push the government on. Just one little point that I found really interesting because I find some of this stuff fascinating is that there were all these trucks coming out of the pharmaceutical companies, and then behind them were all these um, kind of motorcades of um, security cars in Europe. Oh wow! And I just thought. Um, I think there was like one at the front and one at the back creating these little motorcades. And I just thought, oh, that's so interesting that that, that's where we're at. Like it's almost the stuff of science fiction that these doses and these vaccines are getting security because they're just simply so valuable now. And you've got the EU scrapping and you've got the companies trying to get them to the countries that are most in need. And it's just, it's such an interesting there are just so many facets to the story that make it so fascinating. The other issue that has cropped up also is that is that issue of people getting frustrated waiting in lines for a test, waiting for hours and hours in the hot sun with no food or water. Um, and Ashley Bloomfield coming out yesterday was it and saying that, look, yeah, we've recognised that and we're going to make sure that we have people on the ground providing food or water or, you know, toilets and that sort of thing. But those things, you know, you really think that those things should have been already part of the plan once they stand up those testing stations. It's a basic, and we've seen that demand, you know, previously, even those lines snaking all the way down the the roads up in Auckland, you know, um, last year. So it should have come as no surprise that there would be queues and queues of people waiting, and so they should have been quicker off the mark to have those things in place. You know, kudos to um, some of the iwi up north who, you know, provided water and fruit off their own bat. They sort of took that initiative. But I think, you know, Ashley Bloomfield saying, yeah, we're calling in police, we're calling in defence. Those should already be on the books, part of the plan when those things are stood up. So... I'm going to have to get a bit quicker, I think, mm. in terms of identifying those those areas. Did you have a final thought? No. What I think we should do now is, because it's always great to watch this back at the end of the year, um, depending on how it goes, but what are your predictions for 2021? Um, let's, shall, I, shall I start? And so You start and I'll think. Okay, you think. So I just think... I think this year is still going to be dominated by COVID. I think even though we thought, oh, last year is the year of COVID, I think it's going to be again this year. I think it's going to be again the umbrella that overarches anything. That's not too much of a risky statement, so that's probably going to be true when we do our last podcast in December this year. Uh, I think besides that, I think the issues that the government will be wanting to push will be the climate, will be climate and also housing, which will be the big one. And I think that's the one that's going to really rattle them this year. Again, it's not rocket science with those issues. I think we're going to see a few ministers with some of those big... These these are pretty safe bets here, I think. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) COVID and housing. And and also I'm going to say a really generic comment about um, MPs as well. So I'm going to be really pleased that I'll be right at the end of December. You guys can be more risky if you want. But I think some of those big caucuses um, like... Uh, Labour and ACT I think are going to really struggle with some of those backbench MPs and I think we might see a few of them getting into trouble as well.
Yeah, all right, I'll just say three resignations, uh, two uh, <laughs> MPs slash ministers leaving in disgrace. <laughs> there you um, go. If we would have said that last year, we would have been correct. Yeah. So it's always safe to chuck a few of those in the mix. Um, but yes, I agree, um, COVID-19, year of the vaccine, that sounds like a positive thing, but I think that will be a pressure point for the government. They really need to come through and deliver on time. Also, the rollout, we saw huge issues last year with the flu vaccine, um, and what's to say that won't happen even more so with the with the COVID-19 vaccine because there will be even more demand and so there will be even more pressure on service providers to deliver. Um, uh, so COVID, um, the other thing, housing. It's going to be huge, I agree. It's just, I think that's just going to just... Yeah, that's, that's going to be a big, big headache for the government. Um, and, you know, Kiwis out there just want to try and buy a house. I want to try and buy a house this year myself. So, um, you know, anything the government can do to ease that market would be great. Um, housing and um, climate change. I heard a good interview with James Shaw this morning um, who said, you know, we just, we're, we've kicked the can down the road so far, but we're running out of road. I thought that was good. And he sounds as though, you know, he definitely wants to do more, but I do wonder if it will fall by the wayside somewhat given COVID will be so dominating and housing will be so dominating. So it'll be interesting to see how far they can get on, on the issue of climate change. Yeah. Um, anyone who could see the my um, TAB balance would know that my predictions aren't really worth the TAB um, betting slips they're printed on. Um, but one thing that I think people should keep uh, an eye out for or um, what is, will be coming up and will be interesting soon is that when Parliament returns to sit, both National and ACT are going to put a motion of no confidence in the Speaker. Ah, yes. um, so that's going to start the year. So that's going to be interesting because uh, so far, Jacinda Ardern has said that she continues to back him. But the, remember, this no-confidence vote relates back to an allegation, false allegation he made against a member of parliament who worked here, um, that, that there was a, a rapist of here. staff that he made. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, sorry. A staff member who worked at parliament um, and <coughs> basically ended up going to the courts. So so we found out last year um, there was a pretty extraordinary um, uh, select committee where Trevor Mallard appeared. Um, we found out that he knew almost immediately that his accusation um, had been false. He'd gone on Breakfast TV and I think on Morning Report as well and said he believed there was a rapist working at Parliament. He knew almost immediately that was false, but then still took it through the courts and spent, I think, $333,000 during that court case before basically apologising to the guy. Now, there's a separate case where the, the man who was basically, I think that the same day, was booted off Parliament grounds because there was an employment investigation going on. Separate... Um, case that he's taking his parliamentary services as well. Um, so yeah, going to be interesting to see if Labor sticks with him or if we get a new speaker at the start of the year. At this stage, it is looking like he will um, survive. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. There are our um, predictions. Probably Benedict was the bravest and then you and then me. So yeah, we can watch this back around. again. Yeah, we'll watch this back again in December and just see how wrong we were with those predictions. But thank you very much for being with us Again, oh, did you want to give a little shout out to our? Um, oh our yes, um, shout out to um, uh, the bartender at the Mishmosh Bar here in Wellington who loves the podcast. Told me in person. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, hope you enjoyed this week's pits and. Peaks. We love hearing when we're out and about from people who listen. Peak to the Wellington, podcast. that is, folks. It, Peak yeah, Wellington, gives us joy. So that was one news inside Parliament. Our weekly catch up, talking about the political stories and the political issues we've been covering on One News. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. We're available each week 
on One News Online and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. We'll see you guys next week. Bye.